Podcast City Network. Listening to the Rip Griffin Show. Make sure to subscribe to the show on all the major podcast platforms. Here's your host, Rip Griffin. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to tonight's episode. Today, I am joined by a special guest who is the current author of the singled out the story of uh, the true story of Glenn Burke. His name is Andrew Marinus. Andrew, how are you doing, sir? Looks like we had some technical technical difficulties there. Yeah, I'm glad I'm back. I'm doing great, Rip. Thanks so much for having me on your show. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I, I came across this story that you, you, you posted something on, on social media last week that I thought was truly fascinating, considering everything that Major League Baseball is doing this week in the celebration of Pride Week and the LGBTQ community that uh, your book that you wrote called Singled Out, The True Story of Glenn Burke uh, was uh, truly a phenomenal story. We'll kind of dive into that here on tonight's episode. But before we get into tonight's show, you're a big Vanderbilt fan, big Vanderbilt baseball fan. So how exciting is it to have the Commodores back in the College World Series defending their national title from 2019? You're right. I live here in Nashville, uh my job when I'm not working on books is I, I work at the Vanderbilt Athletic Department. I'm alum of the school. My first job out of college, I was the PR guy for the baseball team at Vandy. So it's really exciting to see them back in the College World Series. I'm actually driving my family. Got uh, my wife and our kids are 10 years old and eight years old. So they're right at that age where they're, you know, baseball crazy right now. So we're right. driving from Nashville to Omaha. Uh, we'll see Vandy play their first two games. Um, you know, you may have heard of their star pitchers, Kamar Rocker and Jack Leiter, who will be two of the probably top five players drafted uh, in the draft next month. Um, so it's a really fun team to watch. And uh, college baseball, I think, is growing in popularity. I know it's always been popular in Texas with UT having a great program and other schools in the state. But um, here, Nashville has really fallen in love with this team. And there'll be a lot of people out there in Nebraska <laughs> watching the games. <laughs> You know, I have yet to make it out to Omaha to actually check out the College World Series. I've known people that have gone, that have had that experience. They they say it's truly a phenomenal. It's one of those once-in-a-lifetime type yeah. situations. And I, I know you're excited with, with, with Vanderbilt going in. I'm excited with, with Texas coming in as well. I think this elite field is probably one of the best that we've seen in college baseball in, in years. And unfortunately, we didn't didn't get to experience any college baseball last season, but I really think this is going to be one of the best college world series that 
we've ever seen. And I'm excited for it. Yeah, I think there's a chance that you're right. And I would recommend going, you know, uh, two years ago, 2019 was my first time out there. And I regretted that I had never been before. You know, if you're a baseball fan, it's like a little bit of a slice of baseball heaven when you're out there. I mean, <laughs> thousands of fans from each school there to cheer on their teams. But then the whole city of Omaha gets behind it. Uh, there's kind of a baseball village outside the stadium with vendors selling any possible baseball related item you can imagine right. <laughs> uh, people all day and night just talking about the games um, I had a great time and I'm so excited to go back it's going to be exciting I did a show just a couple of days ago just to kind of set the, the the preview and I've actually got Vanderbilt in Texas in the final all right well I, I, you know as a Vandy fan I'm glad you picked that <laughs> UT uh, instead of the other UT, uh, a little closer to Nashville, uh, there'll be a lot of people from Tennessee out there between Vandy and, and the Vols. <laughs> so, some some good rivalry going rivalry yeah, going on. Absolutely, but uh, it's going to be exciting. I'm I'm glad to see college baseball back in in Omaha. It's it's a great place. Uh, it, it fits the the atmosphere that college baseball brings. So uh, I'm definitely excited to to kind of get to watch some some college baseball this weekend. But uh, let's go ahead and jump into your book. Now, this is actually, is this your, your first book or how many books have you written so far? Uh, this book is my third book. So my, my first book was called uh, Strong Inside. It's a biography of Perry Wallace, who was the first African-American basketball player in the SEC. He played at Vanderbilt in the late 1960s. Um, I also adapted that book for middle school students. So there's okay. two versions of Strong Inside. Uh, my second book is called Games of Deception. And it's the story of the first U.S. Olympic men's basketball team, which played at the 1936 Olympics in Nazi Germany. And then singled out the biography of Glenn Burke is my third book. I'm working on my fourth right now, um, probably about a third of the way through writing it. It'll come out late next year. Uh, it's going to be called Inaugural Ballers. And it's the story of the first U.S. women's Olympic basketball team, which oh, okay. played at the 1976 Olympics in Montreal. So all of these books are you know, nonfiction, sports history, social issues, uh, and I've all wrapped up into ones, the kind of books that I like to read myself. Um, and, uh, you know, I love the research process um, and just sort of diving into these sports stories that are somewhat uh, unknown. You know, it, right. you're never going to find a, a sports story that no one's ever heard of just with the popularity of, of sports. But I try to write about figures or, or moments that haven't been covered as much as others. Yeah. And, this book that she wrote singled out, which is the the true story of Glenberg. And for most baseball fans, and I, I was one of those those baseball fans that I had had never heard of Glenberg before uh, doing the research for uh, for you to come on the show tonight. He, he was the first openly gay player back in the late 1970s. So when you were kind of doing your research and writing the book, well, I, was had you heard of Burke prior to to writing the book? I had heard of him, but I really didn't know much about his story. Um, you know, I'm a kid that grew up in the 70s and 80s. So I remember his baseball card uh, <laughs> from 1978 uh, in a Dodger uniform. Um, I had heard the the trivia that he had invented the high five, you know, um, but I knew nothing of the deeper story of his life. And so that that's a good um, place to be, I think, when you're starting a book. You don't have any preconceptions or misconceptions you know everything's new to you as you're researching it um 
I interviewed a lot of his uh, major and minor league teammates, uh, high school friends of his, family members, people that knew him after his his baseball days. Um, you know, read a lot of old newspaper articles um, from the Bay Area where he grew up, from L.A. and, and Oakland where he played in the majors, but also the minor league cities that he played in. Um, read a lot of books about baseball back in the 70s, which was fun. Also about the gay rights movement and the backlash to that movement in the 70s, too. And so, you know, in all my books, I'm, I'm writing about sports, but also placing the character um, in the context of the times, you know. Right. And so that that social context uh, is really important uh, in this book as well. Yeah, it's truly a, a fascinating story when just based on the research that I kind of did uh, prior to the show. About how long did it take you to from your start of your research to final publication? How long was that process in the in writing the book? Yeah, it takes me. Um, well, I had about a, a year contract to write the book. Okay, um, I got started actually before I had the contract. I knew it was coming, so I, I worked on the book for a little over a year. Um, then there's usually about uh, nine months from the time that pretty much you're done writing it. You've made the copy edits, but it still takes about nine months for the book to actually hit the shelves. You know, there's a process of um, publisher designing the book and I'm lining up photos for it. They design the cover, um, work on the index and the notes section at the back, begin a publicity plan. So they need to have that time built in. So all told, it was probably closer to two years from the time that I really got started until the book came out. It came out March 2nd. So um, training this year, uh, which was a good time for a baseball book to come out, you know, and then this has been a busy month also um, with June being uh, pride month and a lot of major league teams sort of um, acknowledging that. And so I've been, uh, you know, talking about Glenn and his story and it's been really enjoyable. I, you know, I'm, you mentioned like how much did I really know about him. I didn't know that much about him. I don't think that most baseball fans really have heard Glenn's story before. And I think if you're a baseball fan, it's fun to discover a new story that's interesting about your favorite game. And so uh, every chance I have to talk about Glenn Burke, you know, I really enjoy it. Yeah, just kind of just doing the research prior to, to the show, like I mentioned, it, it was interesting to kind of get his story and kind of learn about his life and, and kind of the trials and tribulations that he kind of had to go through during that time, especially when, you know, civil rights movements were were very at the forefront of the the news and, and especially being a, a baseball player that is very out you know in the public and you know the the being a, a openly gay player is was something that it, it wasn't known and wasn't seen too much during that time and I'm sure that was I mean probably rough for him but when you were doing your your research, what was how hard was it for him to come out as a, a openly gay baseball player? Yeah, I mean, I would say existing as a as a gay man in baseball was very difficult for Glenn. You know, he he didn't publicly come out for the whole world to know until a couple of years after he was out of the game. But while he was playing um, in the minor leagues, uh, many of his teammates knew the secret. You know. Uh, while he was playing with the Dodgers and the A's, uh, most of his teammates knew the Dodgers traded him to Oakland because the management found out that he was gay. They actually offered him a bribe to get married. Uh, and he right. said he declined that money and said, um, well, first they said, we'll give you this money to get married. And he said to a woman. And when uh, they said, yes, he said he wasn't going to go along with that. So and then when he arrived at the Oakland A's, Billy Martin 
said he wasn't going to let a gay player, quote unquote, contaminate his team. And so, you know, it was it was open enough that he was run out of baseball because of who he was, even if, you know, he never sat in front of the cameras and had a press conference to announce it. But I think the hardest part for Glenn, other than being run out of the game, it doesn't get harder than that as a baseball player is Mm -hmm. constantly sort of uh, looking over his shoulder wondering if people were who didn't know the secret were figuring it out, you know, concerned that when management of these teams did find out that that would be the end of his career, which it did turn out to be Um, not being um, able to fully be himself, you know, even around his, his good friends on the team, including Dusty Baker, you know, the manager of the Astros, who was his teammate with the Dodgers. And so it was kind of a lonely experience for Glenn in these clubhouses uh, at a time as a young player where he really could have benefited from the support of his teammates and of his manager and his general manager, the, the, the same people that he was not able to get that support from. And so I think that ultimately affected his play on the field. Also baseball being such a mental game uh, to not be able to be yourself and to uh, feel that everyone has your back and wants the best for you, you know, it kind of conspired against him in fulfilling his, his full uh, talents on the field. Yeah, it was uh, just, you know, reading everything and to, to kind of come on into my, my next question was, you know, the reaction that the Dodgers had when they found out his that he was gay. What exactly, you know, when the team went on the road, what what was that kind of situation like? Because the team is at the hotels doing different things. What 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 exactly how did how did Glenn kind of, you know, keep that secret still right so this is one of the ways that his teammates kind of got in on the secret is that glenn would avoid a lot of the social situations with his teammates you know or or find excuses to exit them pretty quickly a lot of his teammates were trying to set him up you know with women and he would they would say oh come on just meet her and so he would show up and meet the woman and then leave five minutes later and say well i met her you know or uh, players would have women over to the hotel after the game and, and Glenn would have a roommate, you know, and he would say, Oh, I've got to go shopping. And one of his teammates said, it's 1130 at night. Where are you going to go shopping? You know, or he would say, I've got to go call my mom. And it was midnight, you know, so they were questioning why he was removing himself from these situations. When the players would go out to clubs or discos, you know, it's the seventies. Um, Glenn might show up for a while, but then he would, he would leave or he would go, find the gay bars in whatever city they were in and and take a cab and get out a couple blocks away, you know? So if someone was following him, uh, they might not know where he was going, you know, and then, then he would, he would walk back to where he was actually going. So it was kind of a constant uh, game or battle that he was involved in, in, in uh, protecting himself, uh, hiding his uh, true identity, because again, you know, Glenn would have preferred not to have to do that, but there was no examples in professional sports of an, of an active gay player that, you know, was able to stay in the game. Um, and so he was very concerned about what this might do to his career. Just that situation of having to constantly look over your shoulder to make sure that nobody was going to find out probably had to be somewhat exhausting for him. Mm-hmm. And, oh, you know, yeah. go, go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead with your thought. I agree with you. <laughs> uh, I mean, because, that would definitely transpire to the field, to playing, and which is ultimately probably why I, I don't know if the team well, the, did the teams give up on him. I mean, on his play as well, if that was affected. 
Yeah, I don't think, you know, there's some people that will say uh, Glenn wasn't run out of baseball because of who he was. He played his way out of baseball because of his statistics. Um, I, I don't think that's true for two reasons. Well, first of all, Glenn was a talented player, you know, and uh, he hit over 304 times in the minor leagues on his way up to the Dodgers. He set stolen base records in two different leagues in the minors. Uh, Junior Gilliam, a coach for the Dodgers, said he had the potential to be the next Willie Mays. Uh, his rookie season, he started two games in the NLCS against the Phillies, started game one of the World Series at Yankee Stadium. You know, so he was a young player that was highly regarded. And the next season he's traded early in the wow. season uh, because he's gay. So the Dodgers gave up on him pretty quickly, I would say, not because of his playing ability, but um, because of his sexuality. When he gets to the A's, um, he has a little bit of a rougher time in the clubhouse. These guys haven't come up through the minors with him. They didn't know him as well. And so when they figured out Glenn's secret, they weren't as supportive. Glenn was very popular in the Dodger clubhouse. Um, Dusty Baker and Davey Lopes told me he was the most popular player on the team. And here he is, a fourth outfielder, uh, a rookie on a very talented veteran team, you know, with Dusty and Reggie Smith, Rick Monday, Davey Lopes, uh, Bill Russell, Ron Say, Steve Yeager. I mean, this was a, a veteran team with a lot of name players and they considered Glenn the life of the clubhouse, which was surprising for me to learn when he was traded to the A's, there were players crying in front of their lockers and they knew he was gay. So it wasn't his teammates that had a problem with him. It was management of the team. And the same thing goes at Oakland where um, Billy Martin uh, sent him down to the minors in, in spring training. And Glenn knew he was never going to have a shot to get called back up. And so he quits the game. And, and I think it's unfair to say he quit. You know, he knew he was not going to get a chance in that franchise. And so, yes, you can say that he didn't set the world on fire with his stats, um, but he really wasn't given a chance. And beyond that, like we've talked about, he didn't have um, sort of the the free and easy uh, mental state that is required to succeed in the major leagues or the board of, of managers in general. Right. It's I me. Mean, it's truly unfortunate for him to have to go through that experience, especially when you get the opportunity to play in a World Series, especially against the Yankees. You you get that opportunity to play in the postseason and and be and be effective. You know, you try to bring in offense as best as you can, but at, at the baseball's highest stage. Um, but. We talked about Dusty Baker, who is the, the current manager of the Houston Astros, who's act, who are actually uh, having their pride night tonight. So mm-hmm. this kind of coincides with the Astros yeah. uh, and this story of Glenn Burke. And we talk about Dusty Baker. How instrumental was Baker to Glenn and during his, his time with the Dodgers? Yeah, Dusty was kind of like the older brother to Glenn and really took him under his wing. I had a great interview with Dusty uh, in Asheville, North Carolina. I live in Nashville. He lived out in the Bay Area, California at the time, but he was scouting for the Giants. This is before he became the Astros manager uh, when I was working on the book. And he told me he would be in Asheville uh, scouting a minor league game. And so I drove over and met him there. And he told me that when, when he, Dusty, was with the Atlanta Braves, Hank Aaron was kind of the older veteran player that took a lot of the younger black players under his wing, you know, and um, really looked out for them, uh, shared meals with them. When they would go on a road trip, they might get together for lunch with black players from the home, you know, and they would return the favor when those guys came to Atlanta. So there was a real network there. And Dusty tried to introduce Glenn to that network also. But, you know, for Glenn, 
even with that social system that was there uh, for the benefit of most black players in the major leagues, Glenn wasn't really able to fully take advantage of that either because he couldn't really share what was on his mind, you know, or, or what his interests were or necessarily want to go to the same places even that they did. But in the Dodger clubhouse, I would say Dusty set a real tone of acceptance for Glenn. He said that there's a couple of different type of type of rookies. There's the rookies that come in that kind of hit, think they're hot stuff and uh, rub the veterans the wrong way. And then there's the rookies that are that are fun and sort of bring a levity to the clubhouse. And that was Glenn with his music and his sense of humor. And he loved basketball like Dusty did, too. They're both from California. So Dusty felt like they had a lot in common. He had a chance to be that veteran figure uh, on Glenn's behalf, like Hank Aaron had been for him. So they had a really strong relationship. When Dusty became the manager of the Giants, uh, it was a time where Glenn was dying of AIDS uh, and living homeless on the streets of San Francisco. And there was a game where Glenn showed up at uh, it would have been Candlestick Park and is calling out Dusty's name. And Dusty said to me he could hear this voice calling from the stands before the game, but it sounded like um, an old man. And, you know, Dusty said, as the manager, you can't turn around and greet everyone that calls your name, you know. Right. But then uh, uh, this voice said, hey, Johnny B., uh, which is what Dusty's uh, friends in baseball called him, you know, his real his real name and middle name. And um, he turned around and it was Glenn, and who was only in his 40s, but it was, you know, ravaged by uh, HIV uh, AIDS at that point and looked and sounded like he was an elderly um, man. And it was a really touching moment you could tell for Dusty to see his old buddy in this condition. Um, and, uh, you know, even when I interviewed Dusty, you could still see the emotion, hear the emotion in his voice talking about what had happened to his friend. And, and there was always times that when Dusty was, was asked questions on, on Glenn, whether or not if he knew that he was gay, he always stuck up for him and, but didn't actually spread the news publicly right. to, to everybody. And I think that's kind of gives you a little bit of insight as to what kind of person Dusty Baker is. Uh, we see it as an Astros manager. He's always the the positive, the, the, the hip, the doing the little dancing kind of, you know, always so appreciative and is always so thankful for everything that he's been able to accomplish and able to, to do with the Astros and just in baseball in, in general, because I mean, this is a game that, uh, only a few get to play and, uh, you know, that kind of, you get that, that tone from Dusty. And when he kind of just, when I was reading about the relationship between Dusty and Glenn, you can kind of get that sense as well that he's looking out for his teammate and, but he doesn't want to spread the news and tell the world because that's, that's something that very it's probably very private for for glenn so right yeah that would have been glenn's decision to do that um right i think you're absolutely right dusty just such a classy person you know um but a fun person also and uh someone you know you, you could almost draw a parallel so here's a situation where there's a gay player in the clubhouse that is um could be perceived as a controversial issue in baseball at that time right or even today there are no openly gay players and so it would take a strong and respected figure in that clubhouse to set the tone to say, hey, this guy's one of us, you know, we're going to treat him right. And so Dusty did that with the Dodgers. You could say that after the Astros uh, scandal, it took someone as respected as Dusty to have the country sort of 
um, you know, well, maybe I don't like what the Astros did, but I, I respect Dusty, you know, so I'll give him a second chance. And so you put him in these situations. It's the power of his character and personality that has played a key role in, in both of these situations. Absolutely. So there is there is an, another connection between Glenn and Dusty. I believe it was in that uh, that World Series in uh, with against the Yankees that there was a celebration that was probably one of the very first that had basically was invented after this game was the high five. How how did that come about? Yeah, so it was actually a couple of weeks before the World Series. It was the last game of the regular season uh, in 1977, um, headed into. Uh, the last month of the season, the Dodgers had three players who had hit 30 or more home runs, Reggie Smith, Steve Garvey, and Ron Say. Uh, Dusty Baker um, had 29, you know, and so he needed one more home run, and they would become the first team in Major League history with four players with 30 homers. And uh, he never gets this home run. It comes down to the last home stand of the season against the Houston Astros. Um, the first three games, he doesn't hit a homer. The last game of the season uh, at Dodger Stadium, J.R. Richard is on the mound for the Astros in the prime of his career. And he's owned the Dodgers and Dusty specifically. So he's Dusty Baker told me he was pretty much resigned to the fact that he was going to let his teammates down. He was not going to hit this 30th home run. They were not going to make history. But in what turns out to be his last at bat of the game, he does hit the home run. And so, you know, huge relief for Dusty. The crowd's going crazy, celebrating. Glenn Burke is on deck. And so when Dusty, uh, you know, crosses home plate and is on his way back to the dugout, Glenn is the first person to greet him. And he raises his arm in celebration and Dusty slaps it. And that's considered <laughs> the first high five in history. And it does take two people. Uh, so I asked Dusty, well, who really gets credit for inventing this? And he told me that in his opinion, so many cool things in life have come out of the Bay Area of California, and that's where Glenn Burke came from. He grew up in Oakland and Berkeley, so you got to give Glenn credit for uh, for starting it. But the Dodgers coined that term, high five. I mean, certainly in history, people had slapped hands before, you know, but this is the first time that anyone made a big deal about it. Um, <laughs> they coined the term. Uh, they, on their programs and media guides the next couple of years, have pictures of their players high-fiving and explain what a high five is on their scoreboard and encourage their fans <laughs> to do it. Um, but if you think about Glenn Burke's personality, it, it made total sense that he would be the person to invent this. You know, he was, he was fun loving. First of all, uh, he was a good teammate. And so here he was celebrating achievement of a teammate, you know, and celebrating that moment with him and gregarious and really like dusty Baker, you know, so it's not surprising that this happened. Surprising is right after that, Glenn Burke comes up to the plate and he hits a home run too. It's oh, his wow. only home run as a Dodger. And the second high five in history took place when he got back to the dugout, Dusty returned the favor uh, to him. Wow. That's exciting to hear just to kind of, you can kind of visualize it when, uh, when it takes place. And it, that's, that's, a, that's, that kind of shows you what, what Glenn was about. He was always the, the, the happy that wants the, the excitement, the excited player. Yes. And, uh, you know, just uh, just hearing his story is truly phenomenal within itself because uh, he, he went through a lot. He went through a lot of, mm -hmm. of turmoil, especially uh, behind the scenes in, in baseball. But, uh, you know, like you mentioned, Oakland kind of gave up on him. The Dodgers gave up on him. What about 
Glenn after playing baseball? What was his his life after baseball like? All right. So he's out of the game in 1980, um, is living in San Francisco, uh, in the Castro district. Um, and for a brief period, he's pretty happy, actually. You know, he doesn't have to look over his shoulder. You still there? Looks like we might have a little connection issue with Andrew. Let's see if I can try to bring him back real quick. Andrew, can you hear me? Looks like we we might have lost Andrew. We'll try to keep this going here. But uh, this is truly a phenomenal story within itself. just hearing about Glenn Burke and everything that he was able to uh, to accomplish on the field, but also off the field as well. It was it's very uh, the things that kind of happened afterwards kind of definitely uh, transpired. Uh, maybe so we might have Andrew back. Andrew, can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. Okay, I apologize. I'm not sure what happened there. Um, no. <laughs> so uh, you asked what happened to Glenn after his, his playing days. Um, you know, initially he's pretty happy. He's living in the Castro district in San Francisco. Uh, he's incredibly popular. Uh, former Dodger center fielder all of a sudden is in the neighborhood and playing softball and winning championships in the gay softball leagues of San Francisco. Um, then a couple of things happen. Friends uh, in the softball league start to get sick and are dying. So HIV AIDS has struck the neighborhood uh, just as he's really settling in there. And also Glenn is hit by a car and has his legs broken and he loses his identity as an athlete, even a softball player, you know, um, because of these injuries and his life begins to um, spiral out of control. You know, he, he's, he had been introduced to drugs while he was playing in the major leagues, starts to depend on them a little bit more after the injury, I think to mask the pain and the, the mental pain of, of being robbed of his career uh, in the major leagues and also not really being, Uh, fully prepared for what might come after baseball. You know, his career was ended early. He really didn't know what he wanted to do with his life at that point outside of sports. And so even though Glenn's story is inspiring in many ways in the history that he made, it's also a tragic story too. Um, Just a few years, you know, after he has played in the World Series, he's living homeless on the streets of San Francisco. Um, And he eventually dies of AIDS in, in 1995. Uh, on his deathbed, he said that he hoped that his experience uh, would make it easier uh, for gay players in the future. You know, and I think that that would be the ultimate uh, legacy of Glenn Burke as if someone um, is inspired by his uh, pioneering and and comes out. That would sort of close the circle uh, on Glenn Burke. But we really haven't seen it yet. You know, you had Billy Bean, uh, the second uh, gay player to come out again after his playing days. Um, which included playing for the Dodgers, just like Glenn did. And, and Billy's now an executive with Major League Baseball. This is not the Billy Bean that runs the Oakland A's. There's there's two of them. Um, but you haven't had an active player uh, come out. And you really haven't seen it across other uh, men's professional sports either. Jason Collins briefly in the NBA, uh, Michael Sam in the NFL. But, you know, he never played in a regular season NFL game. Right. And so this is really something that is still yet to happen. Um, and hopefully we'll, we'll see it sooner rather than later. Yeah. You know, like you mentioned, this is a, this is a very in- instrumental, uh, story uh, of Glenn Merck. And, you know, I, I wish if there, if there are any players that are, you know, uh, 
openly gay that they would just you know come out and i'm sure their their teammates will ex- would accept accept them especially like you know like you mentioned michael sam when he was at missouri uh he came out to his his team his teammates and they openly they accepted him like i mean he's there to play football that's what he's there to do and he played it at the highest level and it's unfortunate that uh, he didn't get to experience the the nfl and i i hope it's not the case but that because of his uh his being openly gay i hope that didn't affect him but um it's just truly a remarkable story one that i had never heard of until recently and uh it's truly exciting uh and i appreciate you andrew for coming on and sharing the story of glenn burke and continuing his his legacy and, and continue to tell his story Rip, I really appreciate that. I apologize for the technical difficulties there, but uh, it meant a lot when you reached out. Um, I'm grateful to have a chance to tell this story, especially you doing it uh, as the Astros are having their Pride Night. Um, you know, I, I think that uh, the Oakland A's named their Pride Night after Glenn. And so hopefully he's starting to get some attention that, uh, that I think he deserves. And that um, as teams do this, as as podcasters like you and others tell his story and appreciate his story. I think that all sort of contributes to creating the atmosphere where a gay player would feel comfortable, more comfortable coming out, you know, if they can see signals that, that it might be accepted. I think there, there was an article in the San Francisco paper last week where uh, uh, Mark the A's and Austin Slater from the Giants, Gabe Kapler, the manager of the Giants, all had pretty positive things to say about how they would uh, treat a gay player in their clubhouse. And so I think the times are changing a little bit in the major leagues and we'll see what happens here the the next few years. Absolutely. Uh, Glenn, like I mentioned, I appreciate you coming on the show, sharing the story of Glenn Burke. Please let everybody know where can they go out and purchase your book? All right. Thank you. Um, So easiest way you can see my name on the screen here, but if you go to andrewmarinus.com, the books page, which will take you to uh, independent bookstore links, Amazon, um, you can pretty much find it. you know, online or at most major bookstores, it's called Singled Out, The True Story of Glenn Burke. And people can find me on Twitter at the handle you see there, True Blue 24 which is a reference to the True Blue Brew Crew. Uh, Milwaukee Brewers <laughs> is uh, my favorite Major League Baseball team. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Well, I definitely appreciate you coming on. The, the I'm going to have to check out the book and and, and read it. So I uh, you know, talking to you is is has definitely inspired me to to of course go out and, and purchase the book and and check it out because I'm I'm excited to to read it. So, uh, but I truly appreciate you coming on sharing the book. Uh, like I mentioned, Major League Baseball is doing their MLB Pride Week in honor of the LGBTQ community, and the Houston Astros and the Cleveland Indians are doing their Pride Nights tonight. So, uh, but it's been an exciting week so far, Andrew. I appreciate you coming on again. Uh, so that's gonna do it for this episode, guys. Take care. Thanks again.